if you have your Bibles, let's open to Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to invite Ginny to come. She's going to do our scripture reading for us today, and then we'll pray and dive into uh, the second chapter of this mini-sermon series here. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Amen. Thanks. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this passage today, this this section of scripture. God, this beautiful story of someone using the the resources that you've given to them to protect and to serve and provide for someone in a position of vulnerability and need. And God, even today on on Mother's Day, as we've even talked already about an opportunity to, to give and to serve and to provide for those in need, God, I ask that you would stir our hearts right now. God, would you remind us of the gospel, the provision that we have in Jesus Christ, our salvation, our ultimate protection. And God, would you stir in our hearts to want to be the type of people who use what you've given to us for the benefit of others. God, I pray you'd guard my lips. Help me only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. And would you give all of us soft and teachable hearts today? We pray all of this in Jesus' good name. Amen. As a church, we've been studying the book of Judges since the beginning of the year. And Judges is a very dark time in the history of Israel. It's a time where uh, it says repeatedly in the book of Judges that there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And many of the stories, most of the stories in the book of Judges are rather negative. They're rather sad because it shows time and time again people's unfaithfulness to God and the consequences of that unfaithfulness. But then we come to the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth happens during the time of the Judges. And the book of Ruth is this beautiful picture of one family who who goes against the grain. One family that does not uh, do what is right in their own eyes. And actually, we get to see uh, today this man Boaz, this character Boaz that we're going to meet. We get to see perhaps one of the most godly uh, characters in all of Scripture. One of the most uh, just obedient and faithful men that we're going to come across. So last week, we'll remember, if you were here, that, that this man Elimelech and his wife Naomi, they moved away from Israel because there was a famine Elimelech and his wife and his two sons, the two sons married women who are from Moab. These are not Israelite women. They they were foreigners. Then the man Elimelech died and his two sons died. And so Naomi and one of the daughters-in-law moved back to Israel. The other daughter-in-law remains there in Moab. The the mother-in-law being named Naomi and the one daughter-in-law being named Ruth. And so you have to understand that the context of this is two women who were in an extreme position of vulnerability. The, the elderly woman, Naomi, she has very low chance of getting remarried. Her husband is dead. Her sons, who would have been tasked to provide for her, they're dead. So she is completely and totally dependent upon the good graces of others. Ruth is as vulnerable. She is herself also a widow, although younger and possibly uh, you know, available for remarriage. But you have to remember, she's a foreigner. She's a Moabite living in the nation of Israel where there was... Uh, in addition to certain laws or things about, about marriage, but there's also racial prejudice. So here she is, Ruth, this, this woman in a position of vulnerability. We're going to start our dog ministry here too. Is that... <laughs> Jerry's always training up some new dog to take care. Speaking of taking care of people with, with needs and vulnerabilities, God bless you for doing that, brother. Uh, I got distracted. I started thinking about dogs. Uh, <laughs> Usually it's squirrels, but dogs do the same thing to me too. So here, so here we find that just, again, the context of this is vulnerability. And, and I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a position of vulnerability. 
Something you, you couldn't pay for something. You couldn't provide for yourself some resources. Maybe it was something simple. I mean, we've, we've probably all at some point had something simple or silly. Like you go out to a restaurant with somebody, you order a big meal, you order an appetizer, and then you realize that you left your wallet back at the office and someone has to cover for you, right? That feeling of, oh no, what am I going to do? And, and, and then they take care of you. You guys ever experienced that or is that just me? That's one of my signature moves, by the way, if I ever ask you to go to lunch. Or maybe it's something more serious. The, the bills just keep coming. The, the, the debt just keeps growing. You can't get ahead. You can't catch up no matter how hard you try. And then somebody comes in and pays the bill for you. You a big hospital bill and the hospital staff says, hey, we're gonna forgive it. We're gonna wipe the debt away. You ever had that feeling, that experience? Being in that position of vulnerability and then having someone step in to protect and provide is just one of the most powerful experiences we can have as human beings. And so the big idea of where we're going today is this. Because of the gospel, God's people protect the vulnerable and provide for the needy. Because of the gospel, because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, this is what God's people do. We protect the vulnerable and we provide for the needy. So let's dive back into our chapter here, chapter two. You can follow along on the screen or if you have your Bible, read with me. Back in verse one. Now, Naomi, that's the mother-in-law, she had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. We're going to pause right there. Boaz becomes the central figure, the central character in the story in chapter two. So let's talk a little bit about Boaz. First of all, we see his name means strength. In him is strength. That's what Boaz means. Uh, in, in fact, uh, is, is the name strength, there's a pillar in when Solomon later, years, years later, Solomon builds a temple and one of the pillars, he names it Boaz, a pillar of strength. Number two, he's from the clan of Elimelech. That's the man who had died. He's a, he's a relative of this family. And, and it's very intriguing. It's very interesting because in the ancient Near Eastern world, family was the safety net. They didn't have things like government programs. They didn't have things like food stamps or Medicare. They didn't have those types of things in place. If you hit hard times, it was the job and the role and the responsibility of the family, near and extended, to care for you. Number three, we see that it says he's a worthy man. And this is a really interesting phrase. In the Hebrew, it's, it's ish gebor ha'il. And the commentators go around and around because there's not a, a really um, easy way to translate it. It, it really means um, strong and worthy and wealthy and powerful. Like it's, it's kind of a superlative, just going over the top to say how great this, this guy is. Various translations say he's a wealthy, prominent man. Uh, the NIV says he's a very important man. Carolyn Pressler, one uh, Bible commentator, she's translated as a man mighty in wealth, power, and ability. So when you see that phrase, a worthy man, that's how the translators of the ESV translation translate it. But even that doesn't quite capture all of the nuances there. Basically, you need to know this guy is a top shelf dude. Okay, he's got money, he's got prominence, he's got privilege. Heck, he's probably even good looking. We don't know, but it's, it's not unreasonable to think. Number four, he is a businessman and a leader. Uh, you're going to see that he's got this field, so he runs a business. And you're going to see later in the story, especially in chapter four, how he is a prominent man in the community as well. And number five, you can see that he's a godly dude. He's a godly dude. When we look throughout the rest of the chapter, the way that he lives his life, the way that he treats his employees, the way that he treats Ruth and Naomi, the way he speaks, he speaks the name of the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. He is a godly man, a righteous man. One of the few uh, people really in the Old Testament scriptures that isn't portrayed as having many flaws at all. He's almost exclusively presented as being a really good guy. Verse two, Ruth the Moabite, just to remind you, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she, Naomi, said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. I love just the providence of God there. It just so happened that she landed in Boaz's field who was of the clan of Elimelech. 
You just see the, 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 the hand of God working behind the scenes as he always is, amen? God's never not working behind the scenes. But I wanna draw out a point from this passage here and I want you to see something before we focus on Boaz. We're gonna really focus on Boaz and, and, and his um, admirable characteristics. First, I wanna focus on Ruth for a moment. And I want you to see something that Ruth is poor, but godly. So as we look at Boaz, he, he, again, the main point is we're going to see how he uses his money and his power for the benefit of others. But I want you to see first that Ruth, a woman who herself is in a position of poverty, in a position of vulnerability, how she herself initiates the work that is necessary to care for her mother-in-law. Did you see that? She, she's hardworking, she, she's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go work. I'm going to go glean in the fields. She, she takes the initiative. She's the one that goes to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi is likely in a depressive state. Remember from last week, she says, call me bitter. I mean, she is, she's not in a good place. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. And Ruth says, let me help. Let me care for you. Let me provide for you. Ruth doesn't give place to maybe what we would call a victim mentality, Woe is me, I can't do anything. She says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go find a way to, to take the initiative, to go help and serve and try to do something to provide for my mother-in-law. You see, she doesn't presume on the generosity of others. We're gonna see that she goes and she asks for permission to go glean in the fields. You know, I, I just, I point this out because sometimes when we have financial difficulties, we can be tempted towards sin. We can be tempted to sin. There can be a temptation toward laziness, right? I don't have money. I don't have this. I guess I'm just going to sit around and, and, and watch TV and, and hope that something good happens, right? The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3 that if, if someone is not willing to work, they should not eat. Pretty strong words, amen? And, and, and that doesn't negate all of the biblical commands to provide for the needy and to care for the poor, but it also speaks to the fact that we, as people of God, are not called to presume upon the generosity of others. We are called to take any opportunity that we have to serve, to work, to help, to provide for ourselves and provide for others. When financial troubles come, we can be tempted to steal. And this could be as serious as, you know, actual breaking and entering. Family in our church had their home broken into last week, stole musical equipment, computers, all that kind of stuff. I, I don't know what's going on in their lives. That's sin. And maybe you're not going to do breaking and entering, but maybe you're going to be tempted to fudge on your, your taxes a little bit and get those few extra dollars back. Or maybe you're tempted to, you know, take those supplies from the office. It can be simple things, but when financial troubles happen, we can be tempted towards theft. Or when financial troubles come, we can be tempted to just hoard. Psalm 37 says, the wicked borrows but doesn't pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Notice it doesn't say the rich, it says the righteous. Just take everything I can for myself, never share, never be generous. I want, to, I want you to see how Ruth is poor, but very godly. She is admirable. She is herself uh, just a beautiful portrait of what it means to be faithful to God, even in the middle of difficult and challenging circumstances. All right, verse four. And behold... But that word is, by the way, in the, in the Old Testament, behold, it, it's, it's a great biblical word. We don't use it enough. Uh, I'm going to use it, actually. Uh, it's my commitment to you. Just behold the, the Robertsons. You know, like just when you're walking up on Sunday morning. But it's, it's this word that means like, hey, look at this. Check this out. Boaz shows up. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? At that moment, Boaz comes. Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. He's, he's praying for his employees right out of the gate. Then Boaz said to his young man, his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, this is his like foreman. He says, hey, uh, who, who's, whose young woman is this? Oh, he noticed Ruth. Who, do, who does she go with? Who does she belong to? He's, he's uh, trying to scope out the scene as it were. We'll get to this more in a moment, how he noticed her, because there's something going on here I think that's really intriguing. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, oh, she's the young Moabite woman. She, she's the one that came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she, she asked us, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from the early morning until now, except for a short rest. Ruth is 
hardworking, industrious woman. Just all day long. She's been out there gleaning, been out there uh, picking from the, the gleanings, and not even hardly taking a break. Verse eight, then Boaz said to Ruth, hey, listen, my daughter. That's, a, that's, a, that's not a term of, of um, demeaning, by the way, that, that my daughter, that's a, that's a term of affection. Like, hey, I have, I, have, I have a position of authority here and I want to use that authority to love and serve and protect you. Even in that, culturally, it might strike us a little weird if, if, if I walked up to you or one of the other men in the church. Listen, my daughter, like, excuse me. Uh, but culturally, that's, that's a very affectionate and, and, and loving sort of a term. My daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. There's other servant girls, they're gleaning. He says, stick with them. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? That's interesting. Why would he have to charge the young men, the workers, blue-collar men working in the field, why would he have to charge them not to touch her? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now, it's not obvious upon the surface, but if you look back over those previous verses, a picture starts to emerge. What what I think the best explanation is, is that Ruth is working, she's working hard in the field. She goes to get a drink of water, and some of the young men who are there working, laborers, manly men, did something that made her feel extremely uncomfortable, and she ends up getting ready to leave. And there's some sort of a scene right as Boaz arrives. Hey, who's, who's this? Well, no, 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 don't go, don't go, don't go. I told my young men to leave you alone and to not harass you. The word there, touch, can mean to touch or to grab or to even strike. Some sort of incident that we would call harassment, even possibly sexual harassment, took place here. And Boaz uses his strength and his authority to step in and to intervene. And that's the second point I want to draw out this morning, and it's a serious one. It's this. Godly men stand against harassment in all of its forms. And I'm hoping to God that I get an amen out of somebody on this today, okay? Men, listen. Throughout the history of the world, men have used their physical size, strength, to, at many points, many times, harass, demean, even assault women. And friends, I would submit to you that there is almost nothing that more enrages the heart of God than that. And that it's not just assault. It's not just actual physical or even sexual assault, but even verbal harassment has no place in the life of men of God. If you are a man of God, I challenge you to take stock of the words that you use, not only about, but in the presence of God's daughters. That harassment has no place in the culture of the men of God. I would also submit to you that our culture in America is not trending in a good direction on this issue. Read an article recently that At no time in the history of TV or movies is rape more popular or fashionable than it is right now. Per hour of TV show produced, per hour of movie film produced, we are seeing an increased spike in depictions of sexual assault and violence against women. I'm walking through the grocery store yesterday with a three-year-old and a four, I think it was the three-year-old and the four-year-old. I can't even remember at this point. Several of my children. And I have to, in order to go buy the Mother's Day present that we were shopping for, I have to walk past an entire stand filled with the movie, what is it, the 50, 50 Shades or whatever? A movie that glorifies sexualized violence. I want to challenge the men in here today to hear me loud and clear on this. That type of attitude, mindset, and mentality has no place among the men of God. And Boaz stands as an example of how the men of God are to act in such a situation. Hey, something's going down. It's not even just, well, I didn't do anything. Hey, these men are doing something that caused her to be uncomfortable, that caused her to maybe want to leave the field. And he steps in, I told them to knock it off. You stay close to my women and I'm watching them. How many of you men have had an opportunity to stand up or to step up? 
I pray that you would. I pray that you would use the authority that God has given to you to treat women with dignity and honor and to speak up where God gives you opportunities. Verse 10, Ruth, she falls on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. He said, hey, I've heard, I heard about you. Bethlehem's a small town. News would have traveled quickly. I I heard about what what you've done for your mother-in-law, how you've been taking care of her and and how you left your father and mother and your native land and you, you came to this people that you didn't know. You left everything to come live here in Israel. The Lord repay you for what you have done. He's praying for her right here in the moment. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Is that a beautiful prayer? And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes. The word there is grace. I found grace in your eyes. I found favor in your eyes. I didn't deserve it, she's saying. I didn't earn it. I didn't do anything, but, but I've been given grace. My Lord, that's that's a a term of um, respect and admiration. I've found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Something else is interesting here. I want to point this out to you. Boaz prays for Ruth. What does he pray? He says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May the Lord give you a full reward. And those of you who know the story of the book of Ruth, do you know what's going to happen? God is going to use Boaz himself to answer that prayer that Boaz prayed. And it just goes to show, sometimes God uses us to answer our own prayers. So, so, so God is sovereign in all things. When we pray to God, he, he is in charge of the heavens and the earth. It all belongs to him. But how many of you know that God works through practical means? So I just want to point out to you, <laughs> be careful when you say things like, Lord, I pray that you would provide for that family in need. Because what if God's asking you to be the answer to that very prayer that you're praying? Lord, I pray that you would provide for that family in need. Lord, I pray that you would comfort that family that's hurting. Lord, I pray you would strike my enemies. Actually, not that prayer. You don't want to pray that one. He does not want you to fulfill that one yourself. But think about those prayers that we pray. Lord, would you comfort this person? Lord, would you encourage this person? Well, what if he wants you to be the person to pick up the phone or send the text message or go out to coffee with them to love them, support them, serve them, encourage them? I I don't know. I, I don't think that in this moment, Boaz knew just how that prayer was going to come to pass. So for you, be careful. Don't be careful. Be joyful as you pray for people and ask God, is there something you want me to do to be a part of your answer to this prayer. Verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, hey, come here and eat some bread and and dip your morsel in the wine. Boaz is making the move, okay? (laughs) So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her the roasted grain. Oh, he's passing her the food. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. This is, this is specifically pointed out. Why? Because Ruth and Naomi have been living in poverty up until this point. And, and for those of you who have ever experienced financial hardship or poverty, you know that oftentimes you don't eat until you're full and you certainly don't eat until there's leftovers and waste. It's, it's rationing things out. Here, Boaz is just lavishing provision upon her. And, and when she rose to glean... So she's like, I ate, I'm back, back to work. I just love this. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. Do not harass her. Don't bug her. Stay out of her business. It's in the Hebrew. You just have to know how to read it. Verse, six, uh, verse 16, and also pull out some for the bundles, for her, some from the bundles and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Okay, what's happening here? Listen, in the Old Testament law, God commands uh, multiple times, book of Deuteronomy, book of Leviticus, that that when you glean in your fields, don't 
go all the way out to the edges, but leave some behind. Leviticus 23, 22, you can see this. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You can see that provision that God has made in the law for people to uh, basically have a way to not just strip their fields all the way down. I think there's a lesson there for those of you who are in business or who, who run companies, things like that. Are you squeezing every ounce of profit that you can out of your business or are you seeking to be generous to those even as you run your business? But Ruth is doing that. She's taking advantage of that provision that God has made in the law. She's, she's gleaning from the fields, but Boaz says, no, 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 no. I don't want her just picking up the leftovers. I don't want her just going around the edge. Hey, you workers, let her do whatever she wants. Again, over the top provision, over the top abundance and generosity from this man, Boaz. Verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening and then she beat out what she'd gleaned. She processed all the, all the grain and it was about an ephah of barley. That is about somewhere between 40 and 50 pounds worth of barley. That's a big bag of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. It's like a, like a, like a sandbag carry, right? The, the firemen here are like, yeah, I, I, I have to do that, right? She's carrying a 50-pound bag of grain back into the city with her. Again, Ruth's a tough, tough gal. This is good. Her mother-in-law saw what she'd gleaned. She also brought out and gave her the food that she had left over after being satisfied. Oh yeah, she had her doggy bag with her too. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. We get to see some signs of life in Naomi's heart. Boaz's kindness not only blessed Ruth, but now it's blessed Naomi. And Naomi, who last chapter was like, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. That's my new name. She's like, oh, oh, actually this is really good. And she's feeling encouraged. Naomi also said to her, hey, this, this man is a close relative of ours one of our redeemers. Now we're going to explore that more in the weeks coming up, particularly in in chapter four, this theme of a redeemer. But that's a legal term. It's a legal term, meaning that he has a position in the, the legalities of the nation of Israel. He has a position where he can actually step in in an official way, not just in an unofficial way, but in an official way to love Ruth and Naomi. We'll get into that more in upcoming weeks. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all the harvest. So Boaz said, Keep coming back. This isn't just a one day thing. I want you to keep coming back. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter in law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So the end of chapter 2 emphasizes that this now went on for a period of many months. Both the barley and the wheat harvests happening, and she goes and she gleans in the field of Boaz. What a beautiful, what a beautiful story, particularly after teaching some of the really dark ones in Judges. What a happy, beautiful story that is to see that there, there are those who are remaining faithful to God, to see that there are those who are not misusing and abusing their power, but are caring for others. And it brings me back to the main point that I said all the way at the beginning, which is this. God is our protector, and God is our provider. God is our protector. See, see God is our provider. I think of of this picture of Boaz, Boaz serves to point us to Jesus. Boaz steps in and uses his protection to point us to the God who is our safety. There's a verse in Psalm 4 that says, you've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Wine abound. He says, God, you, you make me more happy than even when my bank account's really full. And in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, Make me dwell in safety. Do you know that God is your provider? Do you know that God is your protector? The Bible says that everything in the entire world belongs to God. He's the owner. 
And the Bible says that everything that we have, we're called stewards of. The the possessions that you own, your car, the money in your bank account, the food in your refrigerator, those things don't actually belong to you, do they? They actually belong to God. There is nothing that you, from a technical standpoint, own. From the perspective of God, it's all been entrusted to you, and God's call on you is to be a good steward. And so everything that you have is a gift of God's grace, is it not? And on every day that you wake up and you experience peace or safety, every single one of those moments, that's a gift of God's good, amazing grace, is it not? And so that's, that's, that's the, the general uh, pattern of God's grace in, an, in, a, in a general sense. We would call that God's common grace. Even people who don't know or love or follow Jesus, they experience that type of common grace. But there's a very specific type of grace, the special type of grace. We call it saving grace that we experience in the person of Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul points this out to us in Romans 8, 32. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So friends, here's, here's the idea. It's not just that you experience God's general grace. If you're a Christian, if you've been saved by God, you've experienced what it means to have ultimate provision. I mentioned earlier about that idea of the debt that we could not pay. The Bible uses many metaphors for the gospel, but one of them is an unpayable debt. That our sin accrues a debt before a holy God. And no matter what we do on our own, in our own efforts, we cannot pay that debt back because we are finite creatures and he is an infinite God. But that God, who is rich in mercy, provided his own son to live a perfect life, the life that none of us have lived. There are no perfect people in here this morning. Amen? And if anyone says they're perfect, they have just proven that they are not perfect. There are no perfect people here. There's no one here, myself included, who has walked a truly righteous life. Even Boaz, as as good as he is portrayed in this passage, he was not a perfect person. He relied upon the grace of God. And what God has done for us is he's provided Jesus to live that life we didn't live, to die on a cross, to pay that debt with his blood that we could be forgiven of our sins. And then friends, on the third day, to rise from the dead, proving that everything he said is true and that we can have our debt wiped away because of God's grace. Is that good news to anybody this morning? This is our God. This is our savior. And notice what Paul says. He says, look, friends, if God was willing to give up his own son for you, won't he also give you everything else that you need? Why do we worry? Why do we fret? Why do we fear? I would, I would venture a guess that many of you are saying, yes, I know this. Yes, God is my provider. God is my protector. Yes, Jesus is my savior. But what we believe in our head sometimes doesn't make that, you know, 10, 12 inch journey down into our heart. We know it. We know that this is true. But we don't actually trust. We know that a bungee, you know, a bungee cord will hold you if you jump off, you know, go bungee jumping, but we don't jump. That's a, that's a dumb analogy, but you know what I mean, right? Sometimes we live that way. We, we know something to be true mentally, but it doesn't actually affect and impact the way that we live. I'm, I'm asking you, be, be, be honest. How many of you ever have fear related to money? Raise your hand, okay? Now, you know, if you're a Christian, that God is your provider, that God is the one who takes care of you. But then we get in a pinch or money gets tight or whatever, we start to breathe a little faster and our heart rate goes up. What does it look like in your life when you doubt God's protection? What does it look like in your life when you doubt God's provision? Do you go into self-preservation? Do you start building up walls? Yeah, I know that God is my protector, but I need to build up some walls. I need to keep people in arm's length. I need to keep my distance. I need to make sure I'm not vulnerable. After all, the Bible says, guard your heart. So I'm just, you know, being biblical, protecting myself from ever being hurt. What do you do with money? Yeah, I know God is my provider, but, but uh, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I gotta get what's mine or I gotta work extra hard or I need to ignore my family and just put on those extra hours at the office to make sure that we've got enough. Where, where does your heart go? We know what the truth is, 
but we forget that God is the one who takes care of us in all things. Can you just even pause for a second right now and just think of the ways that God has proven his faithfulness to you? I think this church is a testimony of God's faithfulness. There's, a, there's an old hymn, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus," and the chorus says, "'Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, "'how I've proved him over and over.'" And I feel like that hymn is one of the, um, one of the ways I would describe Sound City Bible Church. And this church is one of the biggest evidences to me of God's protection and God's provision. If we have been given God's own son, Jesus Christ, if we can look at the cross and say, wow, God, you were willing to give up your own son sacrifice your own son for my forgiveness and my salvation, how could I not trust you in everything in my life? When that really settles into your heart, not only do you eliminate worry, do you not live in anxiety, do you not live in self-protection and self-preservation, but, but you actually start living it out towards others, right? Because of the gospel, like I said at the beginning, that, that God calls us to protect and provide. That's my, my last point for today, if you're keeping notes. Point number five, God calls us to protect and provide. See, people want to help for all sorts of different motivations. Some people, you know, if, if they're a, a compassionate type of person or a do-gooder type of person, and I, I don't mean that to be like dismissive or rude, but, but those types of motivations will eventually run out. At some point, you don't have enough uh, fuel in the tank, as it were, to want to keep giving. But if we really get that gospel deep down into our bones, you start, you can't help but want to protect. You can't help but want to provide for others. You look at verses like, like in, in Proverbs 14, you remember that God uniquely identifies with and cares for the poor. Proverbs 14 says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Like, like look at how God himself is identified with the poor. And you think, God, I was poor. I was spiritually impoverished and you gave me your grace. And how I treat the poor is, is a direct reflection on my worship of you. Or you look at verses like Proverbs nineteen seventeen. It says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will always repay him for his deed. When, when you're giving to the poor, when you're protecting someone else, you're not just doing it for that person. You're actually doing it unto the Lord. The, the gospel-saturated, the gospel-shaped person will know that all of their generosity and all of their giving is always tied to, it always is founded upon, it always flows from the generosity that we have been given in Christ Jesus. I, I, I want for you to be an active and an involved and a generous person. I do. But I really want it to come from the proper motivation. I could stand up here and I could put up pictures and sob stories and sad statistics and all that stuff and I could really tug at your heartstrings and you'd all be moved to do something. But my sincere conviction is it wouldn't last unless we remember the gospel of grace that we've been shown. Amen? That's where our motivation comes from. That's where it flows out of. And, and if, if you'll allow me, I know, I know there are um, guests and visitors here today. You, you came to hear your, um, you know, maybe nephew or grandbaby be dedicated and prayed over. I wonder if you just allow me for just a few minutes to talk specifically to Sound City Bible Church. So if you're a member of Sound City, this is, this is for you. If you're a guest or a visitor, you get to listen in on, on three minutes of a family conversation here for a second. This idea of generosity and, and service is really prevalent in my mind right now because it's budget season for Sound City Bible Church. We run our fiscal year from July through June, um, we have some really wonderful men and women in the church that serve on our financial accountability team. Alejandro's sitting right there. Wave, Alejandro. Thank you, brother. We love you. I don't know. I can't see through the lights everywhere else, but I saw where you were sitting, so I knew where to point you out. Um, some godly, faithful people who are helping serve our church by, by planning how we're going to use the resources that God has given to us. And, and I'm, I've been thinking about this, like, I don't like talking about money. Can I just be completely straight up with you? No church really likes talking about money. Well, I shouldn't say that. There are some churches that really like talking about money, and you don't want to be a part of that. 
But I think, you know, it's always a little bit sensitive. Oh, you're going to talk about money. We're going to get into the wallet conversation. And everyone just kind of, you know, their hand goes back and their purse kind of zips up a little bit. And no one, no, no one really likes to get into money in the church. And, and, and if you're familiar with um, the history of our church, Sound City Bible Church, we, we relaunched, we replanted out of the shutdown of another church that one of the major reasons why that previous church shut down was because of all sorts of controversy about money. And if I can even just let you into a little window in my heart, I don't like talking about it because I feel like there's those areas that are just sensitive. I get fearful. I don't want to talk to you about your money. I want to just pray and let the Holy Spirit direct you. But Jesus himself said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There are hundreds and hundreds of verses about money in the Bible. And if I don't talk to you about money, then I actually have a conviction from the Lord that I'm not doing the best job that I could do as one of your pastors. And so the question I've been asking myself, and and this might kind of sound cheesy to you, but I've been asking, not just for me as a disciple, but for our church, is Sound City Bible Church a, quote, Boaz-type church? Do we use the resources, the privilege, the power that God has given to us for the good of the needy and the vulnerable? We exist in a suburban context. Uh, Largely, suburbia is built on comfort and convenience, is it not? Everything's a drive-through, everything's got a fence, everything's got a driveway. It's, it's, it's comfortable and it's convenient. And it would be very easy for us as a church to just drift toward the comfortable and the convenient, would it not? And so I've been wrestling and I've been asking God, are we a Boaz church? When I look back on the beginning of our church two, two and a half years ago, uh, we did not know if there would be any money. We started on January 1st, 2015, and we had $5,000 in the bank account. And I know that, I'm not, I'm not trying to brag, I put it there from my savings account. Because <laughs> I said, nobody else is allowed to give yet, we haven't put out the information, I'm just going gonna, gonna to invest. And then, over the last two years, God has been so gracious and so faithful to us. We've never had a month where we've missed budget. We've never had to, you know, lay off staff members. We've never had to cut back. It's always just been a real steady increase. And and by God's grace today, we're in a really healthy financial position. And I'm encouraged, and I want you to be encouraged. But I also say that God continues to give us more and more opportunities as a church to protect and provide. Does he not? Since the beginning of this year, it's, what is it, May? Since the beginning of this year, we provided financial resources for Sam and Shushan to go to Armenia and, and help share the gospel in Armenia. You, your contributions, provided salary increases for seven pastors to try to keep them there in Armenia so that they don't leave to go to Russia to find more lucrative work. Your financial contributions helped send a team of, uh, Kyle, how many people did we send to Mexico in, in January? Ten people from Sound City Bible Church went to Vicente Guerrero in Mexico to go help serve that very uh, poor, impoverished community. Your contributions helped send Kyle and myself to Uganda just a couple of weeks ago with Julie sitting right over there to go care for this, this school and in particular this church that's, uh, that's getting reestablished. That's around the world. What about locally? You guys have... You guys know that this last week we had the director of the Linwood CPS office and other staff members in our church offices talking about ways to improve the foster care community in in Snohomish County Region 2. And that your generosity helps keep the lights on. We made coffee, we served them water, and it's just there in the offices because you guys gave financial contributions. We're talking about not just how to care for individual kids, but how to work on a, a broken and messed up system. Uh, on, on Wednesday, Myung and Michael and myself, we went to this event called Cops and Clergy. The, the Linwood chief of police was there, the mayor of Linwood, and four city council members were there. And they looked at us and they said, we need help from the church community in Snohomish County. They were talking specifically about domestic violence. They said if a woman is abused or, or beaten, uh, that there is a two-year wait list to get them into a safe home. We need to be able to call somebody and be able to just get them into a home quickly. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, how can we help? How, how are the, 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 the city officials and people coming to the faith community saying, we really need your help? And it makes me think, it makes me wonder, can we, can we really be a Boaz church? This bottle drive that we're doing today, 
you know, $1,200 to raise, to, 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 to literally save a life. You think about $1,200. For, for some of you, that's really not much, is it? And so I, here's, what I, here's what I would say. We've, as the elder team, we've been talking with the financial accountability team, we've been talking and thinking there's, there's so much opportunity. We have been blessed by God. I want you to understand that, that, that the report is good for us as a church financially. But I also would say to you, pretty bluntly, there's a lot of room for improvement, a lot of room for growth. When we look at how many people are contributing or giving, there's many of you that don't contribute hardly at all. And I say this to you in love, not in guilt, but the opportunity is there. There's some months where giving's way up, giving's way down. We're, we're not as consistent as we could be so that we can know what we can count on and what we can commit to. I would say our, our grade is like a C+. It's good. We're passing. It's, we're, not, we're not failing. We don't, have to, we, don't have to, we don't have to fire Shane yet, right? <laughs> love you, brother. But I think there's room for growth. There's room for improvement. There's, Ruth, there's room for, uh, uh, like Boaz, to say, I'm not just going to go with the minimum. I'm, I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to let the, the Ruths of the world come in and not just glean from the edges, but to take from the very best that we have to offer. Sound City, that's my hope and my prayer for us as a church. That we would have so many opportunities to say yes to caring for those who are in need, to, to providing for them because we are so deeply shaped by how gracious and generous God has been with us. Does anybody else want that? So let me just offer to you as I close four simple thoughts as far as living generously. And they all start with the letter S because apparently I became a Baptist preacher on accident. So here's what they are. Number one, I want to encourage you to seek God. Make sure your generosity starts with prayer. Ask God, how would you have me contribute? How would you have me give? What do you want me to do? The second one is to set goals. Have a plan. Have a plan for what you want to give. Have a plan for what you want to give to the church. Have a plan for what you want to give to other organizations. Have a plan for money that you want to keep just on your own so that when a need in your own neighborhood comes up, you can just give money or give resources. Have a plan. Set some goals. If you're married, talk with your spouse. If you're unmarried, maybe meet with someone from your community group or a friend just to bounce those ideas off of them. Number three, stretch yourself. The word that the Bible uses is sacrifice. And friends, sacrifice means exactly that. Sacrifice. Going without. And so I encourage you to stretch yourself. God, is, is, is what I'm giving, is, is my generosity, is it easy for me? Do I feel it? And again, there are all sorts of different ways that that can play out. When, when Jesus saw that widow with the two coins give, she was sacrificing. She gave two coins because that was all she had. The rich people were dumping big bags of money. He's like, they're not sacrificing. They don't even feel that. The widow felt that. It's not, it's not as important what specific amount we're talking about the heart behind it. Are you stretching yourself? And then number four, stick it out. Keep going. Persist. Don't give up. I love you, Sound City. I'm so grateful for the provision that God has given to us as a church and for us as individual disciples of Jesus. And my heart is that we would seek to be Boaz-type disciples because of what Jesus has done for us and we would be a Boaz-type church that is able to be generous. And here's my conviction. The more that we press into generosity, I believe God's gonna open more and more doors for us to be able to be generous. Do you agree with that, Sound City? Let me pray and then we're gonna respond. Actually, we're gonna collect an offering. So, <laughs> convenient. And, and, and again, while we pray, I'm going to invite you to really ask, seek God's heart for you in generosity. Maybe you're not ready right now. Maybe you need to talk with someone, but the starting point, like we said, is let's seek God together. God, I ask and pray that you would lead and guide and direct our generosity. God, I pray that our generosity would never come from a place of guilt, but I pray that our generosity would overflow out of a sense of gratitude for the generosity that you've shown to us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us, the church, just wisdom as to how to use and invest the resources that you've given to us. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' good name. Amen. Friends, as we collect the offering, I just will remind you again is what it says in 2 Corinthians 9. Let's give as worship. Uh, don't give as out of guilt or obligation. The Bible clearly instructs us to give out of that heart of generosity. I'll invite our musicians to come too. We're going to sing in a minute. And while they're collecting the offering and then passing out the elements for communion, let me read some discussion questions and things uh, for us to be thinking about and, and, and talking about uh, this week in our homes and community groups.
When you aren't trusting God as protector and provider, how does it show up in your life? And how is God working on you so that more and more of your trust is in him? Number two, how are you using the resource that God has given to you to provide for others, to protect them? And and how do you hope to grow in the future? What's your goal? Number three, when it comes to giving, we looked at these, these four critical elements, prayer, setting goals, being sacrificial, and then persistent. Which one of those are you already fairly good in? God's helped you, or where do you need to grow? And then Number four, how is the cross of Jesus the ultimate protection and provision from God? How does the gospel shape and inform our giving and self-sacrifice? And then a couple things to pray about. Pray that God would grow us in generosity, both as individual disciples and as a church body. And pray that God would use our generosity to show the gospel of God's generous grace to those who don't yet know Jesus. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table here. And and as we begin uh, a celebration of the Lord's table, they're going to hand out the elements. I'll invite you to hold them, uh, hold on to them. We'll take them all together here uh, as a church family. Let me read from from 1 Corinthians 11 to set the table for for where we're going. And then I'll pray and we'll we'll begin this this time of celebration together. It says here, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. I'm not sure where the musicians are at. I want to enter in here. Jared, can you find them, please? Musicians. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Of course, Elizabeth's here. The the faithful one. You guys guys can go ahead and pass those out here. When when Pete shows up, I want everyone to like stand and applaud. No, I'm just kidding. Let's focus our heart on God's word, you guys. This is important. This is Jesus. He, he, when he'd given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Ah, there you go. Good job. <laughs> That's good. The Lord will provide the musicians that he wants. If you can't have fun at church, you're doing it wrong, okay? Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So friends, today let's remember, this is God's ultimate provision for us. This looks like a simple piece of bread, a simple cup, but this is a profound symbol of God's generosity to us. And then there's that invitation to reflect and self-examine. Whoever eats of the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I'll pray and you can eat and drink when you're ready and then stand to your feet. This first song is one that we have not sung it for many months. We sing it back in the fall, but it's a simple prayer that God would rise up on behalf of the poor and the vulnerable and the needy. And so even if it's unfamiliar to you as far as singing, I just encourage you to, to join in in your heart. But let me pray for us. God, we, we thank you for your generous grace to us. God, we thank you that we have everything we need in Christ Jesus, and we thank you that we have been provided for richly. God, I ask that you would help us, enable us to follow that example of Boaz, to be above and beyond generous, above and beyond in our provision for others. God, would you use Sound City Bible Church? Thank you for the opportunities you have provided for us. And God, I ask and I pray as we press in with generosity, I ask and I pray that you would provide many more opportunities for us. Help us now as we sing and as we worship you to sense your leading on where you want us to go individually, but also for us as a church. We pray all of this in Jesus' good name. Amen.